before we get started, uh, this is episode 44. There's a little mix up with uh, a few episodes, so that's why I do this. Okay, alright, let's start. SNC podcast episode 45. Yep. You knew it because I lost track like eight episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have Rob Cannon here from Behemoth Comics. Yeah, I don't work, to, I, I work with Behemoth, but um, I'm with Fubrek Studio. It's kind of a weird situation. We're an imprint for Fubrek, or for, uh, for Behemoth. Oh, okay. um, it's me and Kevin Rotatelli, and we are working on putting some crazy stuff together. So, yeah. So, and basically, I'm, what oh, is some of that stuff? Yeah. So I'm heading up the production side of things. So I'm I'm doing our flagship franchise, which is called Freak Snow, and it's about a freak. It's kind of a double entendre because it's about like a global kind of. Um, uh, ice age type thing that happens there's a super long blizzard and everything gets covered up in snow so that's freaky and the only people who are able to survive it are also freaks so you know it's kind of has a super hilarious double meaning but um it's been a lot of fun to work with just because when you're working in that reality you can do anything i'm like talking to kevin like hey can we do this can we do that it's like yeah dude whatever man put it all in there and i'm like okay so we're talking like yeti bigfoots dinosaurs like yeah whatever so you know you never know what's going to come next but um we're starting off with stuff that's pretty well grounded. Um, and the first graphic novel that's just released called Washed in the Blood is a self-contained story about a kid who's raised in this crazy gun-worshiping cult and kind of the adventure that he goes through, like um, kind of figuring out who he is and what his, like his destiny is, because he's been told it all his life and he kind of has to come up with it himself. And after that, it follows a completely different character, but they're all kind of happening in the same timeline. So as all these stories kind of continue, they're going to sort of intermingle and, you know, we're going to play around with that sort of stuff as it goes on. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun at least. <laughs> and people seem to be liking it so far. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I like the trailer. That yeah, that's awesome. I love having like all these tangential stories that kind of go like this. It's just fun. Uh... You know, following a world where like you know there's a lot going on well and it's also cool because like kevin kind of came up with this idea so like we're, we're kind of like doing like a producer director thing where he comes up with the big ideas and then i get down into the grain and really hash things out of the detail level come back to him for like approval and we you know kind of have a good back and forth thing going and it's been working pretty well so far and so he came up with this idea of like, you know, basically what if it was Mad Max put in the snow? Like, and that's kind of where it all started. And because he lives up in Quebec in this backwoods town called Troy Wivyaw, which gets like 12 feet of snow every year. And so he's stuck in this like icy hell world for half of the year. And so he's like, you know, what if I make a comic about my life experiences, but just add a bunch of crazy mutants and monsters and stuff like that to it. So, um, <laughs> and uh, but the cool thing about it is that like we're able to just kind of take this world right now plot the viewer into it and sort of like tell the story or, or like reveal to them stuff about the world as it goes along and just kind of like you know build the world as we go sort of a thing where there are certain things that we we know as creators um, but it's also like a really cool uh, way to just sort of explore what all the crazy possibilities are for this thing so so, like, what got you into, like, 
comics in general. I always love doing artwork and telling stories, coming up with characters, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the stuff that really inspired me into getting into comics, like I started doing, I always thought I was going to be a, a director or whatever. Um, in high school, I'd make movies with my friends and that kind of thing. None of them were any good, but like, I was really into the technical side of things and getting everything to look all sharp and crispy. Um, but I realized later on, as all my actors went into the military, I was like, wait a second, I need to figure out something else to do here. <laughs> and so I was stuck for a while, but um, I read Watchmen. And that was the first like graphic novel, comic book or anything I'd actually read, first of all. And second of all, it was the first piece of like comic book media that I read. And I was like, oh, this can be taken seriously. And like, see, I was never into superheroes or anything like that. Just like, you know, there's a time and place for it, but it's just not for me. And, but Watchmen was like a very serious, you know, type of thing. And then I saw, I read uh, Frank Miller and saw his artwork for the first time. We were like, oh, I don't have to do like industry style artwork in order to be, you know, accepted into the industry norm or whatever. So that really got me going like, what the hell can I do here? And so I started to work with other people and blah, blah, blah. There you go, Frank Miller's Dark Knight. I started on 300, which is um, a fun one. Really nice artwork. And um, what's that? Incredible artwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like Frank Miller is, um, his, his understanding of human form is pretty interesting. Like you'll see a lot of people make fun of him because some of his stuff look, does look kind of goofy, especially when you get into the later years. But um, the, the work he did with Lynn Varley where she's doing the paints, it's just like, it goes together so well because he's got kind of a gonzo drawing style and the paint was just like, it's just so, it's so violent, you know, it, it perfectly captured like the tone of the story. So that kind of stuff got me thinking and I just started kind of collaborating and working with people for years and years. And now it's finally actually becoming something kind of professional, which is really cool. So basically just kind of, you know, what a lot of people do, just kind of pick up a pencil and go like, what the hell can I do here? And um, follow, follow what I want to do. And it's kind of working out. So hooray. <laughs> that is awesome. It's definitely hard to like find something you're passionate about and be able to actually you know, do it for any extended period of time and not have to pull away from it. Yeah, it is. And it's also a hard decision to make because some people I've talked to who like have dipped their toes into being a professional artist, they'll, they'll kind of recoil from it because they realize after doing it for a couple of months, like, oh shit, this thing I used to do to relax and enjoy myself is a job now. And so it kind of becomes a grind and takes the fun out of it, which you know, I do feel a little bit of that, but at the same time, I kind of like think back to, um, you know, like five, six, seven years ago when I'm doing jobs that I don't like at all. And I compare that to, you know, hey, I'm, you know, it's kind of, I mean, I don't really feel like drawing today, but it's a lot better than hucking 50 pound water bottles around. So, I mean, you know, look at, just kind of um, look at your context and, and keep that in mind. But yeah, it is, it is really dope to be able to do something that I enjoy. And make yeah, a bit of a living off of it. My my brother's a musician. I love that book. It, it, that that book and the uh, what is it? The follow up, uh, which is just chapter two or book two essentially, but uh, mm -hmm. turning pro. Like that's my belief when it comes to artistry is that if you're a real artist, you make money doing artwork. If not, you're either a hobbyist or you're doing it for you know self flatulation. Like there's no reason to <laughs> you know do it for yourself. Like the point is to share with others. 
and the way that you know it gets shared is that people are paying for it. And like that's, that's a really interesting perspective. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way before, but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, though, like it's yeah. <laughs> no, I I totally I I feel you. That's a, that's a pretty interesting perspective on it. Very hard, like American capitalist. I like it. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, it's um, it's like it's the whole thing where like money talks, not just because like you know of uh, various things, but like if I worked all day long shoveling coal in a mine and I decide to spend that money, that time I spent invested there on your artwork, that shows that it's actually valuable. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, you know that it's actually bringing joy to someone or at least making them feel some form of emotion. <laughs> like, you know, that, that's the way I feel about it. If you're doing artwork, you should be doing it for, for others. Even, even if it's, you know, just something like say you do it for your family or something, but like you need to be doing it for other people uh, for to, to really be an artist. If not, you're just, it's just a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. At, at that point, it's either, yeah, just like you said, just kind of self gratification or like uh, some kind of a meditation on the same level of like sitting in a cave for 20 years. Like, yeah. There's, there's not a whole lot else that, that you can bring to the table with it if you're not sharing it. So yeah, that's a good point. Now, I do think that there is an argument to be said for, now, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, like I'm not insinuating that you said this, but like, I think a lot of people kind of want to do um, mass, e easily digested kind of mass media type work because that's what the most people will enjoy. And I've found a lot of um, value in doing just what I want to, like, you know, I do the artwork that I want to do not necessarily it's not for me it's not for other people you know what i mean but it's like somewhere in between where it's a little bit of both and um when i do a public event and people walk by not everybody like comes by and says oh wow that's so amazing but every once in a while there will be someone who comes in and just like stops and goes like Whoa, i mean like wander in they're really interested not because like i'm the best artist they've ever seen in the world but because they're looking at something that they've never seen before and that's the kind of thing that i'm really like Oh, now that's cool. That's something I can really cling to and be proud of, you know? Yeah, de definitely being like being unique doesn't, like, or not sticking to mainstream doesn't even mean like you're not going to be an artist that gets paid. Like, there's like most of the most famous artists are the ones who figured out the rules and then broke them and did their own thing. Exactly. And, but you definitely have to know the rules first. You can't just yeah. go like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I want. And then you just make a bunch of, you, you might as well smear ape feces on the wall or something. It's like, yeah, <laughs> totally pointless. No, that's rule number eight now for the, the new modern art. <laughs> nice. But uh, no, I, I have a friend who's getting into photography and that was the thing I told him. I was like, if you really want to get good at it, like you first have to learn all the rules because if you don't know the rules, you don't know how and why you would break them. You know what I mean? Like you need sure, to know sure. what he perfect photo is and then figure out how to make your photo and it's like you know it's the same with any form of artwork music drawing uh you know any of those even and i like how uh stephen pressfield mentions that even entrepreneurship is an art like being able to build a business so you have to know all the rules first and then you can figure out how to change them to your uh your style of business your style of management whatever it might be but you definitely need to to know how the game is played first yeah, for sure. And it's almost like these things are an art, but in a way there's also a, a level of science to them. Like that's the rules part. I had uh, uh, one of my friends is uh, a martial arts instructor. He does like broadsword or something. And he gets really irritated when people use the term martial arts because like, no, dude, it's a martial science. There are things that work and things that don't work, you know. So it's like, yeah, you learn the science and then it becomes art when you kind of make it your own. 
you know, and in order to do the art, you need to know the science. That's mm -hmm. kind of a, but yeah, you can't get anywhere if you don't, especially if you're talking about something more technical, like using equipment, like cameras and stuff like that. It's not when, when you're drawing with ink, you know, as an example, if you're just doing like brush and, and sumi ink or whatever, you need to know the principles and, and the fundaments. And then after you know that stuff, you can pretty much just go for it, you know, and, you know, learn composition, all that stuff. But when you, you know, you're working with, I don't know, machinery or equipment or anything like that, you really need to know your way around that stuff and kind of the, the technical here's and there's about the whole thing. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of fun to play around in. It's good to be there and like know the rules and look back and go like, man, how stupid was I when I was trying to do this stuff before then? You know, you can kind of go look back at what I was doing in high school and go like, Jesus Christ, if I'd only known all those rudimentary things I was practicing in my art class were going to, you know, be that helpful, I would have paid a lot more attention and like, you know, try, you know, do the grind, do the stuff that's not fun. I think that's one of the hardest things to get any kind of artist, like you were saying, musicians, photographers, blah, 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 whatever, is to just do the boring stuff. You know, like um, one of my favorite working artists right now is uh, Kim Jong-ji. I think I got his name right. right. He's a, a, a yeah. Korean illustrator. He's He has completely earned the title master in my book. And like, but one of the things he says is like, he doesn't use references. He doesn't use guides. And it's because he just draws everything. Like he'll draw your keyboard. He'll draw a pen or, a, you know, just the, the boring crap. There he is. There's his Instagram. I, I, I met He's this the man. guy. Yeah, I, I met him at New York Comic really? Con 2018. That's awesome. I, I have a, uh, well, it's, I haven't put away because it's a uh, wrap, but I have um, the Neon Future Comic by IT Comics. Uh, mm. His cover art signed by him. That's cool. That's dope, yeah. man. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, he he's incredible. I, I watch. <laughs> I'm scrolling through my feed, and I'm like, oh, now I'm gonna be busy for the next eight minutes watching. Them <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> like, it, it really stops you in your tracks. It's it's, it's no joke. I have the same thing. He's yeah, like, amazing. He's, you're right. Like he doesn't have any references. He doesn't like. Like he draws as if it was already planned out. Like it's yeah. Like it's like he's already yeah. like almost yeah and then oh yeah then i gotta go do this and then like he just keeps going like it's yeah like, and incredibly complex compositions too it's like I, it's I think the coolest one i saw recently was just like he had this like like trail that was wrapping around the back of everything but he had already drawn the hollow parts of it without the people mm -hmm. in front of it before he drew the people then drew them perfectly over it i'm like what the like, <laughs> crap like yeah that's crazy yeah yeah, I don't really know if you can learn that. I feel like that's kind of a like a superpower kind of situation. But you know, you can you can do your damnedest, and you get there just by drawing everything all the time. You know. Yeah, um, there's a there's a book called Guitar Zero by um, uh, he's a neurolinguistic I think professor, and he talks about how like he, he used to go to a bunch of uh, teachers and like try to learn guitar. And they're basically like, you're musically inept. You're never going to learn. I play guitar. Like, you can't keep rhythm. You can't hear tones. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do. And throughout the book, essentially, he figures out how to get around that and throw out a, a bunch of different techniques. Because uh, one of the things that he learned that it wasn't that, that well studied, but the few studies he did have, he like dove deep into. And essentially, like the way your brain works is that there's a bunch of tools in your brain, like a hammer, you know, a saw, a wrench, and you use them for different things. Mm -hmm. But the, the tools that you use for speaking, for language, are the exact same tools used for music. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, like, 
they have studies where like someone was you know musically gifted got hit by lightning and lost their ability to play music like play any instruments like they couldn't do anything then there was other people that had the exact opposite where they were hit by lightning they could play music beautifully but they couldn't speak anymore right and they had more than one like this has happened enough times that they they that this has been studied which is crazy uh, yeah, to think weird. that you know they were they had <laughs> before and afters of people getting hit by lightning essentially um but basically uh that, that's one of the things he talks about is that you you might not become Jimi hendrix but you can definitely become amazing like yeah you know, people don't realize like the top five percent of a skill is much more attainable than you think it's the one percent that's super super hard to get mm, a lot of yeah, them yeah, are yeah. like genetically gifted they're like they're like they have that one little piece of like Jimi hendrix like or like he talked about how some people like they never learn their bars they never learn their chords their uh scales none of that and they are just amazing and mm. then there's other people that are just as amazing but they had to learn all of those things yeah so, you know each person learns differently they need different tools but yeah like you might not again you might not become the kim the kim Jung, I forgot how to say his whole name. <laughs> I think it's Jung Ji Kim. Kim Jung Ji. Kim Jung Ji. I always get the the name, the order of the names. Yeah, right. that's why I was like, I was making sure that's right. Or, but basically, yeah, yeah, you might not be able to get to his skill level, but you could definitely get close enough that you like you'll be satisfied with where you get. But there's uh, that concept, yeah, that dip you have to get through, and that that's what I mean by like a real artist. Like you're a real artist when you you're okay with doing the hard, unenjoyable stuff because you know yeah. the outcome is worth it. That's when you're really being tested. Like that's, in my opinion, the difference between a professional and, and a hobbyist or a casual is when, you know, you have to draw, I don't know, something tedious in a, like, especially in a comic panel where you have to draw a crowd or something. You go like, uh, yeah, I really don't want to do that. I think I'm just going to put that off. You know? And then you end up just not doing it like that. Whereas if you, if this is something you know you need to do, you're going to go like, all right, this sucks, but I'm going to do it. And you might even find, like, you'll learn something or you'll, like, find a way to enjoy it or something like that. You know, you or you get into it in a certain way. It happens when you're not expecting it sometimes. But, you know, in my opinion, that's what separates um, the casuals from the professionals. Men so. from the boys, yeah. <laughs> yes, the men from the boys. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the, the thing you were saying about, like, talent and skill is really interesting, too, because, like, there are people who are born with talent, obviously, and they don't even have to work that hard, and they're just like masters. But there are also people who see that, who see those people, or who see, you know, people who just work super hard and just go, you know what? I'm like, this isn't coming to me naturally, but I'm so inspired by this that they just feel the drive to blunt force learn that thing. And in a way, like to me, that's more respectable as like a, a character trait, you know? If you're talking about the quality of a person, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's the person that I want, you know, I don't know, in some, you know, situation where I'm relying on them. That's the type of person that I want to, you know, hang with. And it's just like, yeah. I mean, to, to go through that and, and to put that amount of work into something where you're not seeing results for a long time, that takes a lot of discipline, dedication, and, and going through rough times, you know, so it's pretty interesting. And there are also people born with talent that don't use it. Like, um, yeah, I, I could name a few people right now. And I'm just like, man, they kind of just squandered their raw talent and are doing other things. So, yeah, it's yeah, just a crazy world. Is even, even if you're born talented, you'll never be Jimi Hendrix unless you also still practice. Like, right, for sure. Point is that like, you know, some people get a head start and then some people are so determined that 
they run past the people that you know they're like leaning on the talent right yeah that's why like there's so many nba players football players nfl players like they get into the league and they're like the one that they're like oh my god they're going to be the greatest ever and then you never hear from them after season one and it's because you think they get complacent or they just like don't work that hard yeah i think think about like the fact that they they were just hyped up as like oh i'm the greatest ever right and then they're like well the greatest ever doesn't need to practice right like yeah yeah. which is crazy i'm above that (laughs) yeah yeah which is crazy to think because if anything it should be like the greatest ever practices four times as hard right yes Yeah. And they say that about um, telling like kids who are the best in their class, like in elementary school and stuff like that. Or you hear stories all the time about people who like reach the top of their, you know, good times in high school, you know, the, the football star or whatever, whoever they are, whether they're in a cool band or whatever. It's like if someone's like at a, in the grand scheme of things, like a pretty low um, skill level or whatever in their life, and you tell them that they're the best, they're the greatest, you're so smart, this and this and this. And they'll go on and be like, okay, I got this, no problem. And then they go to college and that's too challenging for them or they get out of college and like the professional world is more than they bargained for or something like that. Like, so yeah, I, I think it's important to like, not let people get into that headspace of, oh, you're so great, you know, constant worship. Cause like it is, and it's an important balance too. Cause you can't just always be critiquing somebody if they're doing good work. It's important to tell them that and, you know, to communicate that. So it's good to have support in that way, but there's also, you, you know, it's gotta be proportional. Maybe they are the greatest ever, but they still need to work at it. So yeah, the, the way I like to think about it is you should praise people for the work they put towards the achievement, not the mm-hmm. achievement. Itself. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like something I learned. Like if you're raising your kids, like that's how you want to do it. You want to be like, Oh my God, you studied seven hours. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't care if you got a 30% of the test. <laughs> Look how hard you worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, but like the reason why that's like so powerful is uh, the, it's the whole mindset of uh, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset and the concept of, there's a limit to how good I can get and there's no limit to how good I can get. And yeah. that's when someone tells you you're good, right? Then you're like, oh, I must be innately gifted at this. I don't have to work that hard and I'll just figure it out. And then yeah. once you can't, you're like, oh, that must be where my limit is, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that, that's a huge thing uh, Tom Bilyeu focuses on. He's the um, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory, uh, which uh, one's a food company, the other's like a, like a, a, a mind set changing essentially entertainment company and uh yeah that's one thing he talks about all the time is like don't don't be the smartest person in the room be the best learner right 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 the and if you're the smartest person in the room get the hell to a different room <laughs> well, well not just that it's like if you're the smartest and then someone's smarter than you well then now you're not the smartest you've just lost your identity but if you're yeah. a learner like no like you can't lose that a learner yeah. is always learning i right? like that yeah yeah always oh it's never bad to be a learner exactly it's like having having an identity that's that's correlated with someone who's always getting better than someone who is the best is Mm -hmm. always more like mentally stable and uh just for your ego it's good to keep you you know humble and always working harder if you're somebody like like don't say you know you're the best you know say quarterback just say like i am an athlete Mm, athlete trains they work out they practice right i'm a team player you know those are things that you can't lose just because someone's better than you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's important to remember that like even someone like Kim Jong-ji or like um, like Jimi Hendrix or whoever, 
Um, they're even if it looks like they're at the top of their game right now, if if they are truly committed, they're still going to be learning and improving and all that stuff. So like that is you're you're never maxed out. I like to think about this when I'm like thinking about where I want my life to go. Like you, you know where what would be my dream existence? And it's like, or what would be making it for me? I like to remember that you never really make it. You're always going to be working toward, it's like, cause the grass is always greener on the other side thing is totally true. Like even if you move into a bigger house after a few months, that's going to just be where you live and you're going to feel just like you did when you were back in that smaller house. So it's like, find things to keep stimulating, you know, whether it's new hobbies or, or trying to challenge yourself in different ways or whatever. Um, or, or just continuing to try and get better stuff. I don't know. That's, that seems kind of like no, negative I, or materialist, but it's like, it's kind of the same idea to just keep growing because yeah, like, you're never going to be satisfied. I don't think that's in, in humanity or, or like in our well, DNA because that's why we're in, here. Yeah. You're satisfied in progress. I, I, I said, actually said this to someone the other day. I'm like, the only two things you need to be happy are um, gratitude for what you have mm. and the, um, striving of progress and that's basically mm. it like if you have those two things you'll be happy so as long as yeah. you're producing something as long as you're creating something you and you're grateful for what you already have that's all you need to be happy like you, you could be broke on the street as long as you're creating something and you're grateful for what you do have that's all you need yeah and i mean if you you can be broke on the street and that's like a terrible situation to be in but if you have the feeling that you're getting somewhere you know i i've never been in that situation unfortunately but i can only imagine that's got to be a really uplifting thing to be like you know someday it is possible that i'm not going to be broke on the street that kind of thing or like you know someone who aspires to ascend in their like financial class you know it could happen and and if they feel it's like the difference between um working really hard and starting your own business or whatever and kind of scraping by in the beginning, but feeling that there's growth happening versus being stuck at a dead end job where you're kind of making ends meet, but you're not really going anywhere because it's a, it's a dead end job with no chance of like promotion or anything. That's what happened to this guy. I was working at a job where I was like, there was no mobility. Yeah. I don't work there anymore. I make way less and I'm way happier. <laughs> Dude, I think that is everyone's story who's doing what we're doing. You know what I mean? It's like I, I was making quite a bit more money before I like quit everything and started doing this, but God, I'm so much happier, you know, and it's because I'm working for myself. I'm just all of it. And I, I think a lot of people in this industry who are working the, the way we are independently kind of relate to. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, uh, the other thing you said too, about, um, you know, you're never going to be satisfied. One of the things I always, so uh, my brother is a music producer and we have like a whole team of producers that come by. We actually just finished recording um, our other podcast. Um, I, I'm like a part of like six different podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have, we have a podcast called MC to MC, which is uh, like the MCs, like artist and music city. Cause we're in Nashville and uh, oh, basically, right. yeah. <laughs> And one of the things we, uh, I talk about because like a lot of, a lot of artists are like, oh, I'm almost done. I'm trying to get this and trying to get this. And I'm like, listen, you should be able to release it as fast as possible. Because if you think that this is your only chance to be like, great, like this is your ticket to, you know, success, that means you plan on never getting better. Mm. And that's almost worse. Like there's no, like you, you, you should, your next, your next album, your next song should be way better than this one, regardless, no matter how good this one is. And yeah. so because of that, you shouldn't be hesitant on releasing it. You should be getting it out there as quick as you can without it being garbage. Like 
You know what I mean? Like you need to make sure it's actually uh, consumable, right? But outside yeah. of that, like you should be focused <laughs> on getting it out there and sharing it. Like that's how some of the people that are growing right now are doing it is that they're just, they're just reaching out to people and they're, you know, uh, what was it? Uh, Chance the Rapper was giving out his music for free and he makes most of his music or make most of his money in merchandise and uh, concerts. Yeah, I mean, that's so. actually it, it that's actually um i talked to someone earlier today who talked about that too that's funny not that exactly but the same like an in uh, analogy for that in comics is releasing like your issue an, an issue of your comic digitally for free and just giving it to people that boosts sales of physical copies like because it's just having that out there and well and the merch is also like comic books are pretty much merchandise uh, when you're talking at the franchise mm -hmm. level so it's like it's a pretty interesting idea that kind of seems counterintuitive at first, but I don't know, for me personally, when I, um, when I compare my experiences reading comic books on a phone or on a, you know, a device of some kind, it's incredibly inferior to like holding the book in your ha hands and having that like full sensory experience. So it's like, it makes sense when you think about it. It was just kind of a funny thing to, to hear. I'm like, oh shit. So putting your comic book on the Pirate Bay might be a good promotional option. I, uh, I think it was Iron Maiden that did that. They literally were like, you know, I think they were getting screwed by their publisher or something like that or their, their label. And they literally like leaked it. They're like, you know, we don't <laughs> recommend awesome. that you use PirateBay.com to buy <laughs> our stuff. Like that, you definitely- Our marketplace not, of choice. Yeah, you definitely should not go to Pirate Bay, right? And like <laughs> by awesome. doing that, they got they got so many true fans that like they would go to all the concerts. Because that's a baller play. move. Like, come on. That, that's on the level of George Clooney playing the gay dog in South Park. That's like, that's just playing ball in the right way, dude. <laughs> or like Black Flag releasing, a, they, they released a cassette tape that had uh, the second, the side B was blank and they're like, record your favorite songs off the radio on this side of the tape. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude. You know what people want. Like, that's amazing. So, well, yeah. yeah. No, it, that, that makes all the sense in the world. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and that's what you were saying, too. Like, giving away your, your comic book free digitally. Like, yes, you paid for it up front. But if no one knows who you are, then give it away for free until, like, if 7 billion people know about your comic and all of them gave you a penny, yeah, you know what I mean? You're getting $70 million. Like, you know, like... People yeah. need to realize that exposure is so much more powerful than the, the, the dollar that you're looking for now. And especially if you're the artist and you're not paying an artist, like if you're the one drawing it yourself, yeah, mm -hmm. you should want to give it away for free until people, and, and not only that, while you're giving it away for free, you're getting better. Like you should be constantly getting better. So yeah. by the time you release like your masterpiece, you could be like, yeah, like I'm going to charge now because you all know who I am. <laughs> yeah. I've earned it, punks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like yeah, our uh, Kickstarter, it's, well, it's probably going to be gone, like done by the time this episode is out. But, uh, <laughs> our comics for issues one and two of the comic that's on there right now, it's superhero, so you're not, you're not going to be like into it. Uh, <laughs> um, those are better than the original versions that we put out because nice. we were learning during the entire process and we're still learning, obviously. But in the beginning of all of this, of like joining the whole indie comic thing, uh, I didn't know there were so many different jobs for, to make a comic book. And I know there's a colorist and a letterer and all that other stuff. And I like learned that. I didn't learn how to do it, but I, like I, I paid other people to do it. And um, <laughs> I just write. And nice. uh, I, 
I'm just so happy with the first two issues that we have now that are going to come out to people because they're way better than what was originally like put out. That's yeah, that's great. And yeah. to like look back and realize that, yeah, it's gonna be really validating and gratifying, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah that's cool. It's definitely, I think that like yeah, like like Greg was saying with our comic books, like it's we did we also didn't wait though. Like we released our other comic already. Like we didn't wait until we like got the perfect artist. We didn't wait until we got everything set. In fact, Greg didn't wait at all because like at first he was paying an artist we don't even use anymore before we changed. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the skater one was, uh, <laughs> so basically like our first comic, our first rendition of our comic, maybe three people had seen, and they're the only people that'll ever see it. And then, um, <laughs> cool. yes. Yeah, so, and then we, then we released like the, our actual, um, what is it? This, yeah, this one. Yeah. Yeah. Then we released our, our first edition of, uh, the Seer Chronicles. And then this one, while we were doing the second one, we were like editing through it. We're like, damn, like we need to, uh, you know, redo the first one because of this, how good the second one's going to be. Mm. Oh yeah. 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 yeah I've, so I've had that feeling before. Uh, it was, it was funny too. Cause like now the, now the first one's going to be like a, like a real pilot episode where it's like a little longer than a normal episode kind of thing. So like, we're pretty sure it's only going to be 40 two pages maybe like it's, <laughs> it's it's getting it's getting uh pretty close like we're almost done editing it but it's uh yeah it's getting there <laughs> it's long. yeah i mean knowing when to be done is one of the most important and hardest things to do especially if you know if you have true i don't know respect or appreciation or like i guess concern for the quality of your craft like you know i think most creators are very 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 concerned about you know, pleasing their contributors, or if you have a Kickstarter, you know, the people who gave you money because they trusted you to, to put out a quality, to put out quality content. And so that's a big concern, but it's like, at a certain point, you just got to be like, all right, this is good enough. Let's go move it out the door and go to the next project. But like, that can be really hard, especially for new people who've never done it before. Like it's terrifying. I remember the first time I, I, I did that to paying customers. I was like, oh man, uh. And now it's like, it's kind of funny because a lot of people liked it. That was with uh, Saint Six Catalyst back in 2015 or 14 or I don't even remember. But um, like looking back on it now, I'm going like, oh God, the lettering was really bad and ordered all these little things, these critiques. But like, I'm not depressed about it or anything because I was going, you know what? I just take those lessons and do it better next time. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So <laughs> it's all good. Like the whole thing's a learning process. And as long as you've got happy people reading your comic book and going, man, that was pretty cool. Or like, oh, oh, getting feedback and getting something out of it. I think that's the main thing. You yeah. just don't want people to be pissed off and feel like they've been ripped off or something. Yeah. That's, the, that's the one thing that you really want to avoid. Well, it's funny because uh, our latest, our, our first comic, like people were like, oh man, that was like really cool. And then we're like, we almost feel bad that we're releasing the second one because it's going to make that one look so bad. Like, oh, yeah. like it's just, it. because not only do we have like a better artist, uh, which like it's that whole thing like the ingredients you start with make it better so our colorist basically saved our first comic because our mm. illustrator they can do that kind of like you know <laughs> messed up a lot of stuff and so he had to like basically fix it and we were like oh my god like we're keeping this colorist forever now because of how amazingly well he was able to repair the damage done and we couldn't like we didn't have time to like go back and fix the uh, illustrations far and away the least 
the, the most underappreciated role in creating a comic is a colorist. It's it's yeah. kind of like the soundtrack or like the the sound the sound design for a film. It's like, man, if if someone does a really good job with that stuff, people usually won't notice. But if you get a bad colorist, your your book is ruined. I, th I think the letter. <laughs> I think the letter. Like yeah, it, it is a lot. Like the letter is the same way. Yeah. You know, like the yeah. letter. Like usually like, lettering even more so because like good lettering you don't notice because it blends with the artwork. So well, the bad lettering you're just like. Oh, what is you know like a like you have a scorpion in your hands? You just gotta get it out of here. I can't yeah, even look I, at that. I, I did the lettering on our first comic before we hired the letterer to completely fix that because it looked like garbage. <laughs> it, it's so it's so funny too because like there's people that kind of pointed out like some things wrong with the lettering and it's like yeah you probably should have done this probably should have done that it wasn't too bad and then we got the new one after our letterist got a hold of it and I was like oh. <laughs> that looks yeah. like, I don't know what I was doing but uh it wasn't that like that was <laughs> it was like the simplest stuff too but you're right it's just like it's it, just like the colorist like it's underappreciated but like it, it you sh basically the the illustrator has to make sure that you know the base is good mm -hmm. but the colorist is definitely what makes sure that you you remember it too like it's yeah. the shimmer that's on there the polish and it's like yeah, like uh, like the the lighting in our newest comic, like just looking at lights so shining, it's like it's ridiculous because now that now that he has a better um, base to start off of, mm -hmm. he's got so much more freedom to do things, and it's like he's got like grunge work on some of our walls. I'm like, oh my god, like it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, coloring's fun. I, I'm actually working on something right now for the first time where I'm going to be coloring someone else's line work, and it's like it's really interesting because I'm kind of looking at like. There's a couple of things that we might want to fix up and like I can do some of that and having the experience of like knowing what goes into inking also helps but like most of it is just kind of going, all right what can I do here and it's uh it's pretty fun to, to come at it from that angle and then I'm going to end up making something that looks a lot different from what I normally do so it's exciting to, to be in that position. You use, you use Photoshop for? Uh... Yeah I use Photoshop. I, I've never I've messed around a little bit with Clip Studio but I just I, I didn't I don't know. Photoshop, I've been using it for so long. It just feels like using an extension of my body at this point. So yeah. I just don't really feel that. And it's so powerful. I can do anything that I aspire to or that I ever have aspired to, I should say, on, on Photoshop. I'm just like, can I put some splats here? Can I make a brush made out of a, a watercolor blob? Yes, yes, yes. You know, like, whatever. I can do it. So <laughs> you can even make animations, which I've been kind of getting into lately. So it's, oh, no. uh, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, Photoshop is very, very powerful. But I don't know what. Um, what do you guys? Or I don't even know what your roles are. What do you? So, Greg, you're writing. Yeah. Dylan, what are you doing? So, uh, my only role in the comic now is like editor in chief. Like I make sure I, I'm more like a director. Like I go. Through, okay. Okay. All right, Greg. I know what you were trying to say. We're gonna that. <laughs> okay. I, I basically. So just, you're you're the studio. You're the <laughs> you're the studio exec. Going. No, no, no. We need. <laughs> Don't say cunt. We can't say that right now. <laughs> oh no, I'm the one adding that. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> no, but uh, no, like there's certain mm -hmm. things like uh, Greg. Greg will have like a plot where like something will come here, and I'm like, what? Why? Mm -hmm. He's like, well, because like the story. And I'm like, yeah, but why are they here? Mm -hmm. So like I yeah, take I... all this background to make sure that the story makes sense, where he kind of comes up with the entire plot line, and then I come up with the thing that makes it a story. Like, it's kind sure, of, sure. And yeah. it's, it's even important just to have a second set of eyes just to see the forest through the trees. You know, when you spend so much time zoomed in on something, working on details, it can be hard to step back and like see the whole painting as, as a body. 
which, you know, someone coming in um, immediately will, will kind of look at it and go, and, it, you know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, just to kind of get a, a more immediate view of the whole thing and just kind of read it as a, as a consumer might, might see it. And, you know, yeah. what is confusing, what works, what doesn't, all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's good to have a, a team or, or some, some people you can count on for that kind of thing. Yeah, and then for the most part, the, before I started doing that, because I didn't do that for this first comic, I'm, I think the first comic I edited now will be the one we're releasing, issue two. Um, and then, we're, then we, uh, if we get our um, stretch goal uh, of 3,000, or when we get our stretch goal of 3,000. There you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll, have, uh, we'll have another comic that I edited, and then uh, the first issue we're finishing editing, and that'll be released. Um, sometime later this year with all the other stuff we're releasing. But uh, yeah, so it, mo but aside from that, the thing that I'm mostly responsible for is like the website. Uh, I, I built the platform that all of our comics are on, although right now I'm still, still uh, rebuilding it because I basically broke it and I was like, all right, I'm gonna make it better this time and clean it up and make it, make it work a little smoother. <laughs> Well, that's a learning experience right there. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, oh I, I literally had a, a client. I built his website. He wanted to, um, what was it? He had two two domains linked to a host, but the issue is that the, the host had an SSL cert, which makes it like, uh, uh, so if someone gives you credit card information, it's protected. But mm -hmm. the, the one that was the primary one isn't the one he wanted that on. He wanted on the other. They had to switch it. And it ended up breaking all of the website. I couldn't transfer it over. And I said, screw it, I'll just rebuild the whole thing. I built yeah. it in half the time and it looks twice as good. I was That's like, awesome. Right yeah, on. <laughs> I, I, always, I always see things like that as an opportunity. I'm like, all right, I'm going to remember how I saw it, but because how I saw it's going to look better than how it was, and then I'm going to build it. And nice. so that's, that's what I did. And then because it had all the SSL stuff built into it and it was the primary domain, I was able to quickly add WooCommerce and all the e-commerce features and connected a merchant. Uh, site Printify and got all that stuff done in like a day. You know, that was awesome. That's one of those Bob Ross happy accident situations. Oh, yeah, like, happy accident. Yeah, no mistakes. Look at it, just a tree. <laughs> just a beautiful tree. Just put this body behind this bush over here. <laughs> we don't need to see that. <laughs> we can see that, folks. Oh, yeah. Oh. And I yeah, I mean, God, making mistakes is just like a whole yeah. other conversation by itself. Like, I've learned so much you know you don't learn as much from success like you learn what works and, and to a point but you don't learn quite as much as when you screw something up and go oh my god and you kind of reverse engineer it and go how could i prevent this from happening you kind of like it causes you to look at some details that you sort of ignore or, or may look over before which is pretty that's a it's a really valuable experience yeah usually um, when we you know made a few mistakes on the first issue i was like and then we fixed it and i'm like wow it's way better like <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah like, like our first story too like we we been, we kept almost the entire story i think there's only one thing that we switched and we added um, things that like just made it better mm. there's like easter eggs which there's a previous episode uh that i did that i recorded this weekend um and all i talked about basically was like easter eggs like how awesome they are and like when you put them in certain spots like there's a thing in our comics our like whole comic universe like there's gonna be this one thing that you're gonna keep seeing and then like later on it becomes like the major thing and you're like what 
Yeah, and that's, yes. that's kind of like the one thing that De Greg and I definitely love about this, like building this is that we're, we're very intentionally adding so much like additional things in here. Like we want this universe to be so complete. Like Greg's literally built a world map for our earth, right? Like we have mm -hmm. a city that's being uh, 3D modeled for a game that we're developing, right? Like we have like all of this stuff that we've like slowly integrated. So like there'll be so much backstory like in this, in our, in our issue that we're releasing with this, we're also releasing like two pages that'll actually have like a newspaper in it telling you what's going on around the city. Like stuff that That's might cool. not even directly be relevant. Like it just, or it might not seem like it too. So like just little stuff like that. I had, um, I did something kind of like that with my first book. So the, the, the concept was that it's like the near future and it takes place in this really, uh, this nasty desert um, fiction county in, in California called COSA. And all of these people who are like criminal contractors go there because there's really lax law enforcement. It's kind of about the breakdown of, of like um, modern society. And so there was a lawyer who developed this app that people would use. It was pretty much like Uber, except um, you would use it whenever you wanted someone to commit a crime for you. So like if you wanted someone to get their ass kicked or to rob somebody, you do this. And I created this, um, this ad that was apparently really convincing. I put it as a page in the book. And when people first saw it, they were pissed off because they're like, wait, this has ads in it? I thought this was a graphic novel. I'm like, no, read it. <laughs> it it's like world building stuff. And so it's like, but yeah, that, I love doing awesome. That's the kind of thing that makes your world feel alive, though. It's like putting those things in that kind of like look like stuff that you would see out in the world. Like, I love the idea of the map and the newspaper stuff. Like, yeah, that's the stuff that makes it breathe. And yeah. it's really, it's fun to come up with, too. And it helps you build the world just for you as uh, we actually, the other thing we're doing for our world is we, we're doing these little campaigns asking people for company ideas. Oh, that's we awesome. We only have, I think, four or five companies made that like, right? I think, right? Something like that. There's right? technically way more because like I did an alcoholic one and there's just so many different names that people just shout out to me. But like, I mean like ones that we officially have a, C, a CEO for and everything. So basically yeah. whoever... Whoever won like the choice, we were making them a character in our universe, and they're the CEO of the company that they made. That's right? cool. So like we have fast food restaurants, soft beverage, uh, yeah, liquor, things like that, and we're gonna come up with a you know tons of other ones. But we literally have billboards and uh, like bus stop signs and things like that throughout our uh, game that'll actually like be advertisements for them. And That's so it's cool. like yeah, it's definitely. And, and then one, one of the other little things, uh, I think, yeah, I think this is in the, the, the other comic we're releasing, though, if we get our, um, or when we get our stretch goal, right? There's a, a comic in there that's, like, in the comic. Like, it's, like, in our comic, there's mm -hmm. someone reading a comic, and that comic is somebody else's actual comic, like, in our, that, like, one of our, like, partners. It's that a meta-comic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So like we, we want to be able to like share that and like and like have these like interwoven worlds where we just like broadcast that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and that, that kind of thing really adds a lot of texture. And yeah, it's kind of reminding me of Transmetropolitan or something. There's always weird, weird stuff going around. But like just the, I love Transmetropolitan because you look at the at just like a splash page of like a cityscape. And just looking around all the details tells you so much about how the society operates and like what's wrong with it. And like, that's pretty much what that thing's all about. But like, 
Oh man, that's a good one. Yeah, that's like, a good like one. our our skyline that's drawn in what is it, page two of our comic? Or three. One, three. Yeah, there's a skyline that's drawn in on page three of our comic. That is actually the 3D rendition of our city skyline. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Our artist to draw. In fact, the that's original awesome. the original like panel, you, we actually still have it. It's a 3D rendition of it just placed in there, so we, we he can see like how we wanted it to look, and then he like drew it in. Yeah, and then I was like, you don't have to keep drawing different angles of the skyline. It's gonna be the same skyline for the whole comic, so we could just keep copying that skyline anytime we need it. Nah. Well, and then it becomes iconic too. So it's yeah. like everybody wins. <laughs> it, I could put, I could totally put on a shirt and just be like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, do do like the uh, the straight line, like where it's yeah. at the top of the skyline. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that. I love that stuff though. Just like building out, um, yeah, like just iconic stuff in a fake world. Like I love that. Mm. It's, yeah. it's a place that you can totally escape into. Yeah, I mean it's fun. It adds texture to the world. It's great branding. Like. You know that it's a it's all good it's yeah. all good <laughs> you can't lose uh yeah yeah so yeah. where could people like find you and kevin and anyone else yeah funny? kevin's most active on facebook that's kevin rotatelli we also have our i think fubrec has you know i've got a facebook page i'm pretty sure we have an, uh, a working instagram we must have a twitter i don't know kevin <laughs> deals with all the social media stuff i hate social media so i spend as little time on it as possible It'll make you nuts. But um, yeah, Fubrak, that's F-U-B-R-A-K studio. And you can probably, you can find that on Instagram and Facebook for sure. And uh, I'm just Rob Cannon on all that stuff. I got a Facebook page. I also have an Instagram uh, that's, I think, at our, yeah, it's at Rob Cannon Design. Um, and as you can see, I'm really on top of it with all this. And uh, I post as often as I uh, remember to, <laughs> but uh you know, so that's where you can where you can find us. And um, oh, and my portfolio is arcanon.design. Yeah, so if you want to check out um, my goings on and what I'm doing in the world of fine art, uh, check out that that URL right there. So nice, sweet. Well, thanks for coming on, and I'm gonna stop recording here. And um, all right, yeah. yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Great conversation. And uh, maybe, maybe I'll talk to you again sometime. <laughs>